Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. Folks, it is finally game week. The wait is over. Purdue football kicks off another season on Saturday afternoon. And we are here to preview the Boilermakers matchup with Fresno State on the show today. We're going to get you ready for the first game of the season. Going to look at Fresno State, talk about the Bulldogs a bit, talk about some of the questions Coming into the game, of course, we will predict the winner, and then we'll go into some season-long predictions, including an annual record prediction, before answering some of the questions that you guys submitted. Uh, It's the best time of the year. Football is back. You got a little taste of it the other day during week zero, but it's for real this week. It is all in. Every team plays pretty much this weekend, so... It's time to dive into it and get ready for Purdue versus Fresno State. Just real quick, be sure to follow on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Uh, tweet me questions there, DM me questions there, uh, and you'll want to be followed there because I'll be ta- uh, tweeting during games, talking Purdue football all season long. You'll want to be followed on Twitter, and be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a podcast because starting next week, we go to two episodes a week. Uh, I will do a reaction podcast on sometimes Saturday night, sometimes Sunday, depending on the game, depending on the time, all of that. And then during the middle of the week, you know, some final thoughts from the week that was uh, a preview to the next game and always answering questions you may have. Send those over on Twitter or via email, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. But let's get into Purdue-Fresno State here. It is the 100th season of football inside Ross-Aid Stadium, and it's going to look a little bit different with some of the new renovations. The team will take the field through the Tiller Tunnel for the first time at the northeast corner of the stadium. Uh, The south end zone will have all the students down there and then wrapped around on the sideline. Uh, A whole new look there. The band will be down with the students in the south end zone. Um, the complex, the dining complex on the north end of the stadium won't be done yet. It wasn't supposed to be, um, but everything's going to be interesting to see a whole new ross stadium and fans get to see Ryan Walters make his long awaited debut months of buildup for this one. Uh, a lot of hype, a lot of optimism about Ryan Walters, about what he can accomplish at Purdue. And he remains confident as always. Uh, he, At no point has he expressed much doubt publicly about this team. Uh, He's always seemed pretty confident. Last week, as expected, he was telling the media they're ready for the opener. They're ready to go. Uh, It looked like they had kind of a walkthrough, simulated game type of deal at the stadium. So Purdue's ready to go for a noon kickoff. Going to be on the Big Ten Network for those of you who will not be in attendance at Ross-Aid Stadium. And for those of you that will... It's going to be a warm one, Uh, looking like temperatures in the mid-80s in West Lafayette, so it's it's going to be a warm one, Um, something that, you know, both teams are certainly used to. Fresno's got to be used to playing in the heat. Purdue's been outside all month, so both teams are going to be ready for that. Fresno State, though, about this team, because it's, it's interesting You know, this is one of the most consistently solid programs in the group of five, if you look at the last few decades. 
Uh, Fresno State's had some really good teams. They've had some very competitive teams. Uh, Fresno State's gone and certainly scared some Power 5 teams. You look at last year, they took Oregon State to the wire, an Oregon State team that won 10 games. Uh, Fresno State beat UCLA a few years ago, I believe. Uh, this is this is a solid program, and they're coached by Jeff Tedford uh, at the helm. His second stint as head coach at Fresno State. It's interesting. He came in, uh, righted the ship after a little bit of a rough patch. He steps away. Kalen DeBoer takes over. Uh, he rocks it there. Takes the Washington job. And then Tedford comes back, and he is in his second year of his second stint at Fresno State. Look, Jeff Tedford's a real solid coach. Um, he probably gets a little bit underappreciated because Cal, where he did the majority of his uh, head coaching, it's been so off the grid since he was fired that you don't really think about Cal anymore at all because they've been so bad but in hindsight you know what he did at Cal was quite impressive 159 percent of his games you know he had some really good players he brought in there Aaron Rodgers Deshaun Jackson Marshawn Lynch real good talent out at Cal won seven or more games nine of the 11 seasons now at Fresno he's won two-thirds of his games there this is a guy who knows what he's doing this is a guy who is going to be well-prepared and have his staff and team well-prepared coming into West Lafayette to play against Purdue. And this is a program that's won 10 games back-to-back -back seasons. Now, it's with the caveat that Fresno State loses quite a bit. Jake Hayner was their all-conference quarterback, a really, really good player for them. Uh, he went... He got drafted, I want to say, in the fourth round, right around the same time Aiden O'Connell did. But uh, Hayner was a really good quarterback. He departs. Uh, they replace their top rusher, top receiver. Quite a bit of turnover, but Fresno State's going to hope that UCF transfer Mikey Keene can be their uh, next real good quarterback out there. He's interesting. Uh, he's a guy who you know, played a fair amount of football at UCF and did fairly well. Uh, you know, had solid numbers, solid touchdown interception ratio, but, you know, Gus Malzahn runs a different offense there. I don't know that Keene was necessarily as great of a fit for it. He's at Fresno. He's going to be their starter. A lot of turnover at those skill positions. Fresno's got a solid running back, Malik Sherrod. He is, uh, he's good. He's a very good running back, and he's got a decent offensive line to pave the way for him. Uh, for a group of five program, it's about as good as it gets. You've got three returning starters on the offensive line, and the other two projected starters for Fresno are juniors. So it's an experienced group of offensive linemen. That goes a long way. That goes a really long way. Um so that's kind of the strength. That's kind of their their offensive strength is up front. But as a whole, this is kind of a tale of two teams. Because while the offense is more of an unknown and has some questions, the defense is pretty good. Uh, last year, it was one of the better ones in the group of five. They were flirting with being top 20 nationally, I think. Which, of course, you know, 
you take those national stats for what they're worth given the adjustment in competition. But I don't think this is a team that, you know, Purdue's going to roll the ball out and drop 40 on the way sometimes, you know, the way Purdue at UConn was a couple years ago or what Purdue did to Indiana State last year. This isn't one of those games. Uh, Fresno's real solid at corner. Cam Lockridge is their top guy. Uh, he's a real good one. Uh, they've got another one. Norris is back. He's a pretty solid player. And I think five of the six guys in their front six, um, they do a lot of a lot of four two five stuff. But you know, f- five of their six guys are returning starters up there. Uh, that's pretty good. That when you look at group of five teams in the modern era of the transfer portal, that's pretty rare. So Fresno's got an experienced defense. Uh, it's got. You know, a defense that's played Power 5 competition before. Now, Oregon State scored on it last year. Uh, Southern Cal certainly scored on it last year. So, it can be done. You know, this isn't this isn't the 85 Bears out there, but it is a solid defense. And if you just kind of look at Fresno State, kind of their season outlook, if that offense can produce, if Mikey Keene can be legit for them, this team could win the Mountain West again. It won it last year. It's a real good program, uh, well-coached, some good continuity. So I think if you're Purdue, you like getting them a little bit early as that offense is still maybe trying to put it together, still getting a little bit comfortable. You get Fresno a little bit earlier. As always, want to take a look at the injury report um, coming into this game. Because for Purdue, uh, it's the season opener, but at the same time, there are already injuries. So uh, you'll remember a few weeks ago, Jamal Edrine, the wide receiver transfer from FAU, he tore his ACL. He's done for the year. He won't play this season for Purdue. Still has a couple years of eligibility left, I believe, but uh, won't be playing at Purdue this season. The center position is an area to watch. Um, Gus Hartwig, as you'll remember, hurt in the Northwestern game last year late in the season, underwent knee surgery. He's not going to be ready to go for game one. So that leaves Josh Kaltenberger is your number two center. He was dinged up in fall camp. He may or may not be ready to go. So if not, you're probably looking at Austin Johnson, the Colorado transfer, to be the starting center. Uh, Kaltenberger could start over him if Kaltenberger is good to go. That's one to watch, though. And also out at left tackle, uh, Mohamed Musa is a key one to watch. Purdue needs him. Uh, Purdue really needs him. That's one area to keep an eye on because, you know, as we've talked about, Purdue has a lot of depth on the interior of the offensive line where, you know, Purdue's able to go to its third string center and it doesn't really impact much in my mind. Whereas at tackle, Musa is going to be a big loss uh, if he's not able to go. Keep your eyes peeled. Um, and also at corner, Salim Turner Muhammad hasn't practiced yet that I'm aware of. So I wouldn't think he's going to play. That leaves the corner position pretty thin. I think you're okay to get by, but you can't afford any further injuries there. One thing to keep an eye on that's going to be really interesting this year is that Purdue says it will be issuing injury reports every Thursday this season. Something reported by Golden Black's Tom Deanhart. 
Uh, he tweeted it out the other day. Uh, that's something that's really interesting. The Big Ten sounds like it will be mandating injury reports two hours before the game. That's something new this year. That's something that's never been done. Uh, but, you know, I'm interested to see what these injury reports on Thursdays look like. Obviously, Purdue's last staff was very hush-hush about injuries. I can't say I blame them. Uh, if there's no, if there's nothing requiring you to be open about injuries, you don't need to be. I mean, it's it's up to you. But I, I'm I'm interested to see how this looks. You know, like last year, um, it wasn't until like Friday late in the day when Jeff Brom was kind of forced to acknowledge that Aiden O'Connell was injured. Uh, even though it happened in the Syracuse game on the Saturday, um, you know, things were kept under wraps pretty well. Now, you know, if Purdue's issuing an injury report every Thursday, that's not going to be the case. So I'm interested to see how that works. But, um, you know, we could have a good idea on a number of these guys on Thursday, af on Thursday afternoon. And then, of course, we'll know for sure on uh, Saturday morning, two hours before the game. Something to keep an eye on there. But, you know, last year I did three keys to every game. But this year I'm going to do three questions about every game. Because let's face it, the keys to victory don't really change all that much. Um, sometimes, you know, there's schematic things you do. But at the end of the day, um, this year's team has a lot of questions. We're going to learn a lot about it this year. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about t this, these games in terms of questions this year. And for this game, my number one question is how explosive are Purdue's air raid offense and it's airstrike defense. So, you know, here's where I'm going with this because a lot of what the air raid offensive pass scheme is predicated upon is getting these guys open for yards after the reception. Deion Burks is the guy who comes to mind as the real explosive one in terms of yards after the catch, but I don't know how athletic all of Purdue's receivers are. At the same time, you know, it's it's not a true air raid like we've talked about. It's not going to be the Mike Leach style stuff. So how much does Purdue take shots down the field? It does have some bigger receivers on the outside. You know, you look at Mershon Rice, you look at Elijah Canyon, um, Abdurrahman Yassin's not exactly small. How much does Purdue try to stretch the field with those guys and go vertical? Um, you know, how much how much is the offensive line really plowing holes for running backs? You know, not not to consistently hit 25 yard runs, but to hit those 10, 12, 15 yard runs. That's something I'm really interested to see. And then on defense, I I want to see how aggressive Purdue gets. Um how much Purdue, how much pressure Purdue puts on its corners is going to be something I'm interested to watch because Ryan Walters played a lot of just man coverage, no high safeties, go get them. I don't know if you can do that without the corners that he had on his roster last year. Now, maybe the corners are legit and that's something you can do, but I want to see how aggressive Purdue is. Purdue's going to play a lot of these five-man fronts. How often do they bring more than five? Or do they always bring all five? Do they bring four? Do they bring three? 
I'm really interested to see what that looks like. So the explosiveness of both sides of the ball is one. I want to know how much of a drop-off Fresno State has with their departures on offense, most notably at quarterback. You know, when you look at Mikey Keene, he got up last season to 7.8 yards per attempt passing the ball. That's pretty solid. A 23-7 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, that's very respectable. Uh, more than that, that's very good. Um, but how ready are these receivers? You know, I mentioned they've got a strong running back. He's not much of a pass game threat, at least from what he displayed last season. So how ready are some of these receivers to step up and go make plays against a Power 5 defense? And then number three, how does Ryan Walters handle his first game as head coach? You know, it's one that this game projects to be close. Um, This is going to be a game that, you know, Purdue could win by a couple scores, but, you know, Vegas is telling me it's going to be close. So clock management, situational coaching, all of that is going to be under some scrutiny. It's going to be interesting to monitor. Uh, This isn't something I say to doubt the abilities of Ryan Walters or that, you know, he's ready to do that. I have no doubts about it. He's going to be fine, but it will be interesting to track that to see you know, watch him and how he handles game management. And also, I think you can kind of tack Graham Harrell's play calling in certain situations into that. And I say that just because, you know, we remember last year's season opener where Purdue threw the ball a lot um, when it was trying to run out the clock, didn't feel that it was all that effective at running the ball to do it. it. It didn't work Purdue's way. But what does Purdue do here? You know, does Purdue go run heavy if it has a seven-point lead in the final, you know, five minutes, final seven minutes, or you know, does it try to keep the, you know, keep the gas on, keep the defense off balance? Something's going to be interesting to see. This spread has certainly shifted in Fresno's favor. When it opened up over the summer, it was like six or six and a half. I've seen it down to four. Someone had told me it got to three and a half. I didn't see it, but I'll take their word for it. Uh, And the under has been bet very hard. That thing opened up at like 57, and it's down to 50 and a half. Um, That probably has to do both with the teams and also the new clock rules. If you watch some of the Week Zero games, you probably noticed that the clock does not stop after a first down until the final two minutes of each half. So... The numbers were about five fewer plays per game on average than what uh, than what we saw last year. I thought that was interesting, but um, we'll see what that looks like. We'll see if what type of a game this is. You know, these games are tricky. Uh, when you play against a good non-power conference opponent, because it's not easy to win the court of public opinion. If you win, of course you won. It's a power five against a group of five. You're supposed to win. But if you lose or you don't play well and win, you know, folks, a lot of folks don't do a good job of comprehending that, you know, some of these group five teams are pretty good. The one that'll always stick in my mind is when Iowa lost to North Dakota State a few years back. But then that Iowa team still went like seven and five, eight and four. It was a good Iowa team, but it just, you know, it played North Dakota State. And the number one rule 
of scheduling FCS programs right now is don't schedule North Dakota State. That's a, that's a complete non-starter. You're not going to win that. Now, everything that Ryan Walters has done as head coach to this point has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the recruiting is going well. There is really some momentum around the program. You can see it in Purdue fans. The excitement, the optimism, it's all there in a way that things aren't always there when it comes to Purdue football. It's now time to see it on the field. I'm going to give Purdue a win here. I'm going to go 27-21 is my score prediction. Uh, I think it's going to be close. I do. I think Fresno State is a pretty good team. I think this Purdue team does have its questions. Um, I'm fascinated to see what Purdue looks like. It's a, There's enough new, newness on the Fresno offense. Of course, you have the body clock theory that it doesn't hurt Purdue, that it's a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff for Fresno State. Um, I think Purdue should be able to go out and be the better team. Purdue has the better roster. Purdue probably has the better quarterback. Um, I think Purdue has the better quarterback. If Purdue starts self-inflicting some wounds on itself, then, you know, this is a game it can easily lose. But I'm going to go Purdue 27, Fresno State 21. Um, I think that would be a really good win for Purdue. So that's where I'm at. Purdue, Fresno State, the Boilers get it done. Five bold predictions here, or we'll see how bold they are. Uh, those can be up to you on how bold they are. But five predictions here for Purdue this season. And number one, you guys probably knew I was going here, but Nick Scourton earns all Big Ten honors, and I think he becomes a household name around the conference. I absolutely love the potential he has. I love his frame. I love his explosiveness off the edge. I think the scheme's going to be a really good fit for him get him a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups with a tackle. And I also think having Kydron Jenkins and Corday Sidnor and Will Hell and Scotty Humpick in that outside linebacker room on the other side will help him too uh, so that, you know, Scourton can get those one-on-ones. And then you're, you know, you're just betting on him to be the better player. That's a bet I'm willing to take. Number two, I think Hudson Card turns in better than a three-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. Uh, pretty specific, I know, but better than three-to-one, three-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. Accuracy is the main thing that gets brought up about Hudson Card when folks are heaping praise on him, and there's been plenty of it. I think it's going to be a really good system fit. You know, it's. Again, these air raid systems are designed to get a lot of completions. Uh, it's designed to get the ball out quick and get it in the hands of the receivers to make plays. 11 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio for Card at Texas. I think he's going to turn in a really nice season at Purdue. Uh, keeping him healthy is going to be paramount. As someone asked on the show last week, I think for just the ninth time in Purdue history, the Boilermakers will have a 1,000-yard rusher. I think Devin Maccabee can do it. He nearly got there last season. Now, again, you've got to stay healthy. Um, 12 games to get a 1,000 yards. I'm just going regular season here. I don't predict bowl games. 
I don't do any prediction about a bowl game before I know who's playing and who who's playing for Purdue and who Purdue is playing against. Um, so 12 games, 1,000 yards, I think he can do it. I think Tyrone Tracy and Dylan Downing will help him get there because he won't have to carry such a big load early on. And I think Maccabee will become the first Boilermaker rusher since Corey Sheets back in 2008 to hit 1,000 yards. I think Purdue's secondary is going to create some really big plays. I, I think we're going to see Purdue average more than one interception per game. Uh, now, that's not very bold, but Purdue hasn't exactly been a ball-hawking secondary in recent years. I think Purdue will create some big plays on the back end, but I think Purdue is probably going to give up more than it creates. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this group. I think you have an interesting group at safety with Cam Allen, Sanusi Kane, and Dylan Thieneman. Uh, all indications are that Thieneman is going to play a big role early on, so keep an eye on him. But at corner, Purdue's really thin. Um, it can't afford any injuries at corner, and that's a spot where you do get dinged up. You know, you get guys playing on special teams. You get guys uh, on some of those on the field for long, long drives. It can wear on guys, and Purdue doesn't have a ton of depth to sub in and out or depth that you're comfortable playing. Uh, relying on a lot of transfers, I don't have a great feel for the secondary right now. And number five, getting into my record prediction here, my final bold prediction, I don't think the record is going to thrill the fan base in year one the way it did in 1997 for Joe Tiller's debut and the way that six and six felt like nine and three for Purdue in 2017 under Jeff Brown. I don't think it's going to be like those years, but I think Purdue's going to show fans enough that the fan base will still be really excited about the Ryan Walters hire going into year two. The way, you know, after 09, I don't think Purdue fans were terribly excited about Danny Hope. After 2013, no one in their right mind was excited about Daryl Hazel. I think Purdue fans are going to be excited about Ryan Walters moving forward. I have Purdue going 5-7 and seven this season. I think 5-7 and seven is probably the most likely outcome, just looking at this from a you know fairly realistic standpoint. That's what I see Purdue doing. I've kind of said from the start, if Purdue can get to a bowl game this year, it's going to be a really nice season. Uh, Purdue lost quite a bit from last season's roster. The schedule is brutal. Uh, you know, you have three non-conference games that are all all very winnable. Don't get me wrong. Purdue may be favored in all three, but all are very losable. Um so, you know, the odds are against Purdue going undefeated in non-conference. You get both Ohio State and Michigan. You go at Iowa. Wisconsin's Wisconsin. You know, the path to, the, to a bowl game, and I, it's certainly possible. Um, you got to be 2-1 and one in non-conference. You got to finish 2-0 and oh against Northwestern and Indiana. Those both have to be wins. And you have to pick off two in the middle. How about Illinois or Minnesota? Can you get Nebraska on the road? Those are kind of the ones you look at as being opportunities for Purdue. The injury potential here really scares me. 
Uh, Hudson Card can't get hurt. That's, you know, that's the alpha and the omega for Purdue. Hudson Card has to be healthy because if, if he's out, you're relying on someone who's never thrown a pass. And I think you saw in 2019, that's not really something you want to get into. And, you know, let's face it, Jack Plummer had a lot more buzz going into that year than any of this year's backup options do. I think if this was last year's schedule, uh, I think if you had Indiana State and FAU instead of Fresno State and Virginia Tech, I think if you had you know, Penn State and Maryland instead of Michigan and Ohio State, I think this team probably goes bowling. But you know, the schedule is as important as anything. But I think you're going to get some proof of concept. I really do. I think there are going to be a lot of times this year where you look at Purdue and say, I see what they're trying to do. The personnel isn't good enough, but I see what they're trying to do. And with adding more talent through recruiting and gearing up for a transfer portal cycle, I I think fans are going to be really excited about the future. I think there's going to be enough to generate buzz moving forward here this year. Answering a few questions here as we reach the half-hour mark of this episode. Uh, Thank you to those of you who reach out for Q&As. I always enjoy hearing from you guys. Remember, you got two ways. You can tweet me or send me a DM on Twitter, at BoilersBeyond. You can email the show, BoilersAndBeyondPod at gmail.com. Question number one here uh, from a longtime listener, my guy Wesley. Can Purdue defend home field and go 2-1 and one into conference play. Got to believe that September could likely determine the trajectory of the season. Yeah, I mean, can Purdue? Absolutely. Uh, Purdue can absolutely go 2-1 and one into conference play. You know, I think if you look at the way Vegas will have these games projected, I think Purdue going 2-1 and one is probably the most likely outcome. I think... It'll be a, you know, it's obviously favorite against Fresno. It'll probably be a similar short favorite against Syracuse at home. And then at Virginia Tech, we'll see, probably around to pick them. I could go 3 and 0. I mean, it's, that's entirely possible. Now, Purdue could go, Purdue could be worse. Purdue could go 1 and 2. These are all fine opponents that Purdue's playing. Um, so it absolutely can. Home field is going to play a big factor. You know, you get a fired up crowd for week one, a lot of optimism, and then Syracuse already sold out. Parents' Day helps with that, but a sold out crowd under the lights, absolutely Purdue can. I completely agree on September determining the trajectory of the season. I think you'll know by the end of September whether Purdue can go to a bowl or not because Purdue will either have a winning record, get three wins in September, or a losing record. I think a two and three start would be really difficult to overcome when you look at playing at Iowa, Ohio State, and at Michigan in October and November. Um, I think Purdue needs to be three and three and two when the calendar flips to October if it wants to make a bowl. Another good question here: Does the Fresno game, uh, with the kickoff time being a noon kick, benefit Purdue's offense or defense more? How much do internal clocks really play a role in games? You know, this kind of plays back to my question about explosiveness. Because if Purdue can strike a big player or two early on, uh, 
This is a game that I don't think is going to be super high scoring. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be, you know, Iowa, Illinois last year, nine to six, but I don't think this is going to be, you know, a shootout in its forties. I don't see that happening. So if you can strike a big play early on, that goes a long way. Um, I think, I don't know that it helps one side of the ball more, but I think on offense, especially, you know, if you can catch the defense napping, make, you know, strike a big play, get up seven, nothing, get up 10, 14, nothing, then you're in a really good spot. I'm not sure how I feel about the body clock theory. You know, I remember all of the, um, hoopla a few years ago with the Stanford loss at Northwestern, uh, when Northwestern just pounded a good Stanford team because it was a noon Eastern kick. I'm sure Fresno is well aware of this. I'm sure they're trying to combat it, practicing early, all of that. Um, it, it helps Purdue. I mean, it, it certainly doesn't help Fresno to play the game at 9 a.m. Pacific. But by how much, I think it's hard to quantify that. And then a couple more big picture ones here that I got asked over email. What can Purdue do to raise its profile as a football program besides just winning more on the field? This is a question that, you know, is big right now with Purdue and in the the world of college football with conference realignment really being a hot topic issue and the, you know, kind of thoughts out there that we're drifting towards a time when the higher profile programs break away and do their own thing. So how does Purdue become one of those higher profile programs without winning more, you know, besides that? there's not that much to really do. I mean, winning more games is going to raise your profile. Winning helps everything. Winning kind of solves all problems. I think NIL is a pretty clear one here. Um, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know the ins and outs of Purdue's NIL situation to know what players are getting paid, how much they're getting paid. I'm not going to claim any knowledge there. From an outsider's perspective, it seems like basketball is well ahead of football. Not surprisingly, Purdue's a basketball school. But, you know, in theory, if you've got a bigger NIL war chest to throw around for football, it's going to bring a higher caliber of player to the team. Especially out of the transfer portal, you know, you get you get a top transfer or two in. Um, they're not free, that's for sure. But that generates buzz. Um, so I think that's a clear one. I don't know that there's much more Purdue can do with facilities. I mean, I know there's supposed to be a phase two to Rossade Stadium. I don't know what more you really need to do. I don't know how much more you can do to a century-old stadium, if we're being honest. But, uh, I, I mean, I don't know that that's completely necessary. Performance complex is great. The dining facilities going in. Purdue's in a great spot facilities-wise. Uh, Purdue is committed to football quite a bit over the past, oh, what, about a decade or so since Mitch Daniels took over and since uh, Mike Babinski took over. Really got Purdue football pushed in a positive direction. Um, I think you're going to see Purdue continue to invest. And then a big one here, um, a very big ask. What will it take for Purdue to surpass Notre Dame both in terms of on the field success and as a, you know, like the profile of the program. 
obviously a ton of sustained success. I mean, you're talking about one of the most prominent brands in all of sports. Uh, Notre Dame football is massive. And I know, you know, I know Purdue fans don't like to hear that. I don't either. I don't like Notre Dame. I grew up an hour from South Bend. I grew up, you know, seeing all the South Bend TV. I'm not a Notre Dame fan at all. Um, but like them or not, you know, it's a massive brand that, since Brian Kelly took over has been consistently good every year. Um, I don't know that Purdue can become a bigger profile program than Notre Dame. That's probably a bridge too far. Um, you know, there was a time in the 1960s when these two schools were extremely competitive, but it didn't end up lasting. Uh, Purdue didn't kind of hold on to that nationally. I don't want to say relevant, but nationally powerful spot that it was at, you know, in the late 60s with Bob Greasy and with Len Dawson, um, it didn't hold. Now, on the field, I mean, Purdue has a long, long way to go. Notre Dame gets, you know, Notre Dame gets a lot of flack for not being able to win at the national level, you know, like in the playoff or against some of the better teams. But, I mean, it's won 10 or more games in six of the last eight years, Purdue's done that once ever. Um, Notre Dame has been ranked at the end of the season six of the last seven years. Um, Purdue hasn't done that in quite a while. So Purdue's got a long way to go. Um, I think if you're Purdue, though, I don't think you compare yourself to Notre Dame. I really don't. You'd love to. That's kind of a long game, end game goal. But I think for now, if you're Purdue, you compare yourself to Illinois. You compare yourself to Iowa to Minnesota, to Michigan State, to Indiana. Those are the programs you compare yourself to. That tier of Big Ten that you're in, as we move forward into an expanded Big Ten, into an expanded world of college football, those are the schools you need to be better than on a year-in and year-out basis. Later this week, I think I'm going to hop on Twitter Spaces, do a little something on there. Um... By no means is that going to replace the podcast or anything. Just a chance to hang out and talk some Purdue football. So keep your eyes peeled for that on Twitter. But that's all I've got for you today, guys. Thank you all uh, who spent the entire summer, spring and summer, here with me as we waited for this day to get here. It's finally game week, Purdue and Fresno State. Uh, We will be back here probably either late Saturday night or on Sunday to wrap up the game with our thoughts, with comments, um, full recap of the game um, with plenty of commentary coming on Sunday probably. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss it. Follow along on Twitter for updates before, during, and after the game at Boilers Beyond. Send me over any questions. For those of you who are making the trip to West Lafayette, please travel safely. Uh, For those of you who are watching from the comfort of your own home, enjoy that. Enjoy the first Saturday of college football. It's the best time of year, guys. I can't wait for another season of doing it with you all. So until next time, enjoy the game, and I will talk to you on Sunday.